Welcome back, everyone, to a Jed and Gary Wrestling Podcast. We're doing the review for AW Dynamite this week, which was on Thursday, out of all days. Yes, our schedule is really, really messed, but it's going back to normal next week, except for NXT decides to go on Tuesday. And I think it's because the NHS playoffs, is that right, Gary? The NHL, yeah. Uh, the Hockey League, yeah. Oh, did I say NHF? NHS. Thank you, NHS, by the way. (laughs) NHS. Yeah, some British company has delayed NXT purposely. (laughs) They may have the cure for uh, the ongoing global stupidity. But um, that only affects me, really. Apart from that, it was a really, really good show on Thursday. Uh, The only thing I want to speak about, um, just as an apology to everybody, we have no videos on youtube at the moment if anybody listens to us on youtube or likes to see any further content the reason for it is my pc decided to have a blue screen of death gary never had the password from the youtube he's got everything else but i never give him the password for youtube for some reason don't know why um so i can't access it i'm trying to do all the things getting the pc reset this week so hopefully hopefully by the weekend i'll be able to do and gary what's the other news that uh, is happening over the next week or so well, I'll be disappearing for a little while. Um, so you might get some solo videos from Jed during the next week. I can speak out my ass, so it'll be much more different and fun. Or maybe just absolutely um, shrieking, window-breaking voice, just me, Overload. That might be what it is. Talking about Overload, there was actually fans back, and I was overloaded to see him. There you go. That's a good segue. Not at all. But who's the first? Who's the first person they brought out to them all? The, the absolute, ratings god. Ah, oh yes, the devil god, the ratings god. What an absolute legend! I'm oh, just no, 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 no. It's not the demo god. Tony Schiavone confirmed it's the demo god. Demo god. Well, what is he just going to like dress up as Finn Balor, like slash pain maker? You know, as soon as he started saying that, I was just thinking the demon god. What are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but I was very happy to hear them sing Judas, to be honest. Uh, really, really much appreciated. And having fans at the back, no matter how you think of it, the fact is um, AEW doing it their way. They're doing it as safe as they possibly can. And again, it's a gateway to other companies eventually doing the same. And WWE are doing their thing with the Thunderdome, which is inventive, something different. And they're doing it their way, which is a gateway to what companies do as well. So each to their own. I'm just happy to see people in attendance. And it started off, Gary, as a typical AEW evening. Tag team matches. We had three of them because it was the Gorman matches. And it was a really good, great start to the show. So we'll start with the first one. The box standard, Young Bucks and Nightmare. Natural. <laughs> I nearly called them Nightmare. Natural again. Uh, natural Nightmares. Um Exactly, yeah, exactly how this was going to play down, what we mentioned in the preview. I think everybody knew how this was going to go down. The story of the um, match really was trying to get the quick pin to uh, keep up the endurance levels ready to go on to the future match. There was a really good Canadian destroyer that Dustin did on Matt that um, I think Jericho chimed in saying, he's never been to Canada, call it the Texas Destroyer. Oh, I found that hilarious. Um, I appreciate yeah. the change from Jericho uh, than Taz, even though Taz has been brilliant on commentary. We'll get to that in the future. And then near the end, QT were looking for Dustin that basically he got thrown to the floor at one point and then the BTE trigger for the one, two, three win. 
good starting off match though, Gary, weren't it? A like, nice little intro to the TV. And then it went into my PCs, sorry. I know who it is. I just want all my notes of the best friends in Young Books. So this is the big one we want to speak about, probably, Gary. I know you did, because it's the first thing you mentioned me. Um, Jericho, again, before they started coming out, he was saying uh, there should be no jokes in ringside. He was ripping into BTE, really. But the reasons for that is when the dark order come out later. Um, it was basically... Chucky injured his knee halfway through the match. You could clearly see where it was going. Um, Trent did a German. No, no, he got Germaned by Matt on the apron side, which looked horrible. And then, after a really, really, really decent match, loads of decent moves here and there, all, you know, Hangman Page was out. And we didn't even see him run out. And he was holding Matt, uh, Nick's leg as Matt got rolled up because they were going for the driver. Um, just talk about this for us, Gary, before we go into the last match. Well, <laughs> everything seems a bit of a hodgepodge for the uh, the elite at this point, don't it? <laughs> I'm not joking. Okay, you know when um, a bit a bit similar to the segment later on, we'll discuss that actually right after this, anyway. But you know when you smash glass and yeah. there's like a thousand different shards. That's exactly what I feel like with this story now. That it could go one in a thousand ways. And there's so many different things you need to do. It was just, it was a really, 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 really good start. And it's quite coincidental as well. They're deciding to do this when fans are back in attendance. I know not many, um, but still, there's live fans in attendance. And we've had the Young Bucks on the fair side mostly. We've had... FTR mostly on the heel side and then we've got the two champions Kenny and Hangman that have just been up left right down sideways diagonal um, horse on chess directions um, you just don't know where they're going to go what I really appreciate about this is we didn't see him the commentators have to say is that Hangman and then I was like what what was going on have I missed something here and I really really appreciated it it was good as well because he was hugging um, Nick's leg not looking at him either he was just kind of keeping down Obviously, he had a bit of makeup on. He looked like he's been up seven nights playing video games and drinking tequila, whiskey all, all night. Uh, and then going into the empty seats part of the stadium with the lights shining on him, thinking, has he done the right thing? Has he done this, this? It's very, very interesting where this goes down, Gary. Right. He's joining the Four Horsemen. Is he going by himself? Is Kenny going to be livid? Because it was funny how Kenny wasn't anywhere on the show, I think. I don't remember seeing him one bit. No, he wasn't. Um, but to me, when he was on the on the stairs, I definitely had the saddest violin song in the world playing in the background in my head. <laughs> it was just like, no. <laughs> but I, I, I think, given what we'll be discussing later, that there's more building blocks to come. I think the representation of them steps going up at the side of the stand tells you how far we are through this journey at the minute. Yeah. When he t turned around on like step five of 20, I think we've still got a fair bit of mileage in this story. <laughs> 
It is. It is. Um, we'll quickly go on that other segment right now. So there's a segment later on in the night where <laughs> I think it was Tasha that went in trying to interview um, Hangman. And funnily enough, he was at the bar with a drink. But before she was able to interview him, the young butts came bashing in. Uh, and they were basically just screaming at Adam Page, uh, basically saying he's afraid to face him. Um, he's nothing but a drunk. He, uh, I think Nick would call him, him a jobber. He, he called him a jobber like a while ago, didn't mean it, but now he means it. And then right at the very end, there's a shot of Hangman in the smash mirror. Um, just looking. More Joe Raleigh shot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you bit that up. Uh, <laughs> and he's basically in all been... fairness, right? Does AEW have this thing for more Joe Raleigh where they just steal his gimmicks? Because uh, last week we were answer. talking about Big Swall with that, right? This week we're talking about Adam Page with it. What is it going to be next week? Is he going to turn up with like blue face paint on or something? Peter Avalon. No. <laughs> <laughs> Point blank, just immediate visceral reaction there. <laughs> <laughs> just, just as I've been, I've been throwing out the podcast. Just as Hagman's been throwing out the elite. But uh, <laughs> um, overall, I thought. Both this segment leading into this segment was just, it was the best bit of the show by a yeah. hundred miles per hour, I believe. Yeah. I think with the story behind it all, it was a bit unusual for me because when Hangman did the holding of the leg, I just thought to myself, I went, oh, what are you doing, Hangman? No, 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 you can't be doing this. I don't believe you're going heel. And he picked a side. He basically picked a side and he's stuck with it now. He's basically got FTR side. We don't know if he is with them. 100% because he, um, because later on into the next match that we'll discuss, there's a reason for that. And then he's completely gone against babyface Young Bucks. But I think Dynamite did really, really well of asking me to hate the Young Bucks in that segment. The throwing of the drink, for some reason, is much, much worse than getting like DDT'd. The throwing of the drink symbolised more violence than anything anyone's done in the wrestling ring that evening. It was really unusual. I went out of that segment going, wow, the Young Bucks are absolute cheeseheads. Just, what are you doing? And I still have got this hope that Young Bucks are going to end up in this match one way or another. I've still got that hope, even though the um, vignette, well, not vignette, the actual slideshow of the pay-per-view card came up with them and FDR that we'll discuss in a sec, but I just think this could go anywhere, anywhere now. This storyline is still, as you said, Gary, got a good six months minimum attached to it. Um, and I think it's all because Kenny was absent from this uh, show because it's all around him now. And it's getting inches closer of your prediction of Kenny being exactly right. I just, I need to see it. It's it's one of them things now where no matter what happens, if I don't see it, I'm going to be disappointed because I would have thought that the writing team would have done it right. <laughs> I just think right now with the elite fractured, FTR have got their opportunity and they've been manipulating Hangman Adam Page for the last like six weeks at least on TV. Mm. And that's not talking about things on BTE or like even little mini statements on Dark that we get 
every so often. Yeah. It's just unreal. But if you noticed, right, Adam Page was in the bar and he had three drinks in front of him. <laughs> no, I didn't notice that. Right? <laughs> so there was, there was a drink for him, right? There is the argument there was two follow-up drinks because there was no bar staff. So maybe he over- ordered a bunch, but there was three drinks. So did he get two drinks for the Young Bucks to apologize to them? Or did he get two drinks for FTR and leave Tully out? Ah, yes, I like that because that is eagle-eyed viewership. That Gary, I give you heads up that because I leave you notice that. You know me; I somehow get like random details out of nowhere. But no, yeah, no, no, media I, studies, like you said. <laughs> yeah, me, me personally, me thinking in if I was Hagman Adam Page, he looked extremely guilty the moment he did it. And yes, yeah. AEW can play it. The good thing is because, as you said, there's no bar staff, and um, they could play it with the apology because the only reason you're going to pay a drink and you're that sad is to apologize to someone because it's funny how FTR didn't go and see him because if they did go and see him, we would have seen him if you get what I mean. But yeah, it, it was that it's really weird because he's a lonely, but a very sympathetic figure at the moment. It's just a beautiful way of um, portraying his character, it's like going into that next saga of what he will be because Dax and Cash, they're the ones that you want to hate. But it's weird because I didn't think of them. I wanted to hate the Young Bucks at that moment in time. It was just, if you're building blocks into the next bit of this storyline, which I still think is going to last a very, very long time until the blow-off is Kenny versus Hangman. But it still may go on after that because this might be AEW's just storyline like from the very beginning of the show to the end when these characters are no longer there and becoming legends for AEW probably. But I can't say anything more, Gary. I've literally lost of words for how brilliant that beginning yeah, bit was spot on. You've got the whole situation as well, right? Where if the Young Bucks and to a certain extent Kenny Omega hadn't been mistreating Adam Page, yeah, right, or looking down at him, or calling him all these names, it'd never have been able to be manipulated in the first place. Precisely. So there's that in the background as well, because like, if you get bullied, you feel insecure, don't you? And as soon as you feel insecure, if someone shows you that little bit of attention, where they, even if they're pretending that they care about you, you just automatically go, well, they care more than my so-called best friends. What's going on here? And it's just the mind of someone that got, gets bullied. And you can see that's playing on his mind with the alcoholism. And the alcoholism's playing on his mind as well because that's affecting his actions now. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of the Tony Stark alcohol uh, storyline in the comic books, really, um, for Iron Man. But it's okay, get this now, Gary. You ready? So, Hangman is basically evicted himself out of the elite. I think FDR won't adopt him into the Four Horsemen at all. They're just using him. So that's two groups now he can't join in. The Dark Order, he's got this storyline to finish off, but I don't think he'll ever join. I think Broderly was like, no, you can basically go away. And then Cody is died. So that side of the elite's gone. So the Nightmare, <laughs> um, Nightmare family won't be able to help him. He's basically by himself... And he needs to redeem himself to be the best person. Hence, 
the absolutely brilliant face title run. Yeah, I've said it a hundred times. If I'll say it a hundred times more, Adam Page is your face of the company for the next 10 years. Face or heel, and I prefer like monster face at this point because he is the most sympathetic character on the entire show, even though he did what he did. I still don't see it as a like a heelish action. Mm. I, I actually think it's justified because of how young books have been treating him anyway. And I yeah. understand how he'd get to that point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like it's one of them ones where you've, you've been overthinking over the night and you've just done one of your actions. So spot on, really. Yeah, you've just been a bit of a stupid idiot, right? And your friends have exploded because of it rather than asked what the hell yes. and found out the answer. Oh, and then but... your friends have turned on you, turned their back on you. And in all fairness, the, like you said, the young bucks seem like a pair of you-know-whats. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because they won't ever listen to Adam Page. Ever. <laughs> If you look back like six months, they're still not listening to him. Ever since he lost that heavyweight championship match. It's been a year. <laughs> and it's an incredible storyline that we just can't get enough of a year later. Just inject it into our veins. Just keep continuing. The only thing I'll add on top of it is one thing I really appreciated was the young books when they came into the segment, they weren't asking him the question of, oh, why do you do this? Acting all stupid like other companies do with the backstage segments. They actually knew exactly what happened because the crowd knew exactly what happened. The commentators knew exactly what happened. They weren't stupid. And I appreciate that, all my characters, and I appreciate that with Moxley later. So the last match of the gauntlet, it was the best friends versus FDR, and Tully came out of them. So right at the very beginning, Tully basically said to FDR, go for the D. <laughs> he basically just said that to him. And like two vicious dogs, they went after Chucky's knee, hence he injured it in the match against um, the Young Bucks. But this was point by point exactly how Gary said it was going to go without the hangman thing, really. It, Gary was very spot on with this goal, so very well done. Um, one thing I really liked was the fancy new jackets again. Um, I think Jericho chirped up saying he should get a new one, which I find funny, even though he had a new one on. Um, there was a sign from one of the fans that brought in saying, follow the rules for FDR. I find that hilarious. Um, it was basically a match of attacking Chucky's knee and then FDR, um, well, Dax chapter, tapped out Chucky for the one, two, three, making them, the people going into All Out against Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega. For the Goldman match, Gary, how did you find it overall, all three of them? I enjoyed the Gauntlet match. There was a lot of storylines going through it, as we've already discussed. Yeah. Right down to the natural nightmares. <laughs> Turning around and, like, their little story of, can Dustin keep up with the Young Bucks? Yeah, being, like, 50-odd. Yeah, and just being fantastic. And like you said, there's a Canadian destroyer and everything. He's so talented uh, right, for his age. Right through to young bucks and best friends who were just having your standard sort of high-flying babyface tag match onto 
the story with Chucky T and FTR. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but Trent never got tagged in in this match, did he? Um, I so, don't believe he did. Uh, I think if he that, did, he immediately got tapped. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, there is a slight mistake from the referee halfway through that last match that I was just confused by, where he's saying that Dax isn't the legal man, but then he's counting the three anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's just took me out of the match completely. Well done, referee. Uh, <laughs> not that I often complain about referees, because usually they're not something worth complaining about, to be honest with you. But that was a mistake. Yeah. Hard job, so I like referees regularly. Completely took me out of it, but I did you did love the use of the like amended sort of figure force looking thing that they used. Yeah, as well, just because it's a callback to Ric Flair. <laughs> it's Everything going the way of the Four Horsemen. It is. It really, really is. So there's a little tease later on that I want to show you. So next yeah. we had is this a the MGF um, one. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you okay. picked it up. So, uh, going on to the next part was the Casino Battle Royale um, card picture. It had Lance Archer and Darby Allen, so I was thinking, like, oh, it's funny how Darby Allen's on that, because I really wanted the Ricky Starks match, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, following that little um, picture, it was Lance Archer coming out and squashing some guy called Sean. I didn't even write his surname down, because... Sean Maluta. Yeah, I didn't write his surname down purposely because that match ended quicker than I could write it down. Um, it was your to, typical monster versus jobber, weren't it? It was. And because we haven't seen him dynamite as much because he's been back in dark racking up his wins, um, it was much appreciated just seeing him on. But after the match, uh, Jake got the mic. He was about to talk up late, uh, Lance Archer. And then music hits and it's... Taz's team Taz's theme tune, and both Ricky and Cage came out with Taz. And then it was uh, basically a pub argument with Taz and Jake because I couldn't get a word, all I got was he, Jake called them the Flintstones. Uh, and then I think he mentioned something to do if you throw a big log in confetti comes out apart from that there was not much I could get because they were speaking on top of each other yeah um, I've got a lot to say about this segment actually as a whole um, that's fine right, I'll quickly, so I'll quickly I, one second I'll quickly run through the end and on, then you can go for it, it. Um, so what happens is they talk then they square up to each other and then Darby comes in with skateboard really good angle because Darby's music hits great entrance he, he hits Ricky right out of his shoes which is hilarious and then they like brawl into the back and then there's just a standoff between Archer and Cage and if you're thinking exactly what I'm thinking Gary you're a legend go for it everyone loves the big beefy bastards <laughs> Vince McMahon loves it, and everyone else loves it. You've <laughs> got to admit, there is money in them kind of matches. But, here's the thing. Lance Archer came out with Jake the Snake. That's fine. We're all good. Love Jake. I remember him being terrifying when I was a kid. So, <laughs> nostalgia's there with Jake. 
dude needs to stop making really creepy signals at women. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable and not in the right way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one thing when Mickey James is doing it, and it's another thing when it's Jake the Snake that's doing it. It's just weird um, and wrong. Um, yeah, no. No more of that, Jake, please. <laughs> down, Jake, down. <laughs> Calm down, mate. Calm down. <laughs> if you want to have a chat with the woman in, in the backstage area, go for it. But no, not on my TV screen. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Apart from that, it seemed a bit of a a strange moment because when Lance Archer came out, and he did his entrance and everything, it's like he was feeding off of the crowd's energy. Mm. The entire match, the crowd was well behind Lance Archer, right? Didn't care about the jobber one bit and just kept cheering for Lance Archer, who is meant to be the murder hawk monster, this massive heel character that everyone's meant to be afraid of, and the fans are cheering for him. Because he's awesome. That is how you get over. But he was embracing it like a baby face, which added to the Team Taz walkout at the end. And I really liked the fact that he got interrupted by the heels. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned this because, okay, I had an argument with some guy on Reddit um, after Dynamite. I go through. And uh, if I see a decent light pulse, I'll start um, chirping in. But what it was, was you were basically saying, the question that they asked was, uh, let me load it up, okay? The question they were asking, it was in relation to Cody Rhodes, uh, mostly. And I was just going along, and we got into this segment to do with um, who's going to win the Battle Royale, because Taz mentioned that his team are going to be in the Battle Royale, We've seen diving, we've seen uh, Lance Archer on the picture of who will be in it. But the fact was, this guy's argument was, this battle royale is going to be insane. Lance Archer has, has, to got to, uh, has got to win, right? And then I went on to it and went, okay, with Lance Archer, if he's having a baby face turn, no, he's not winning it because this will lead with Darby Lance partnership versus Cage and Starks. Eventually, with Lance versus Cage and Darby versus Starks, and he got into a really, really big argument with me. Um, I'm going to go into the second part of this conversation into a later segment as well because we got into two because there was five other people that introduced themselves into this um, battle royale. But I'm, I'm actually, even though. I've seen on Reddit mostly, I've not seen on Twitter or anything, a lot of people are not liking this Barrel segment, but the little stories they're putting into it at the moment, I'm actually quite interested because it's bigger names for once. It's not, I know Terry Funk's a big name, but it's not like people that can't go as much anymore and people you might not know because some of the Barrels, if you think of the very, very first one, uh, the only highlights in my mind I can think of is Adam Page, MGF, and I can't remember his name, so I do apologize, but that disabled guy that um, has no legs and he was wrestling just with his arms and his torso, which was phenomenal. Like, that was great feats of uh, human strength. 
And I believe Terry Funk was in that as well. But they're, they're the only four names I remember. And then in the next IRL, I can't remember at all. I can't even remember the woman's one. But this one's got bigger names for me to remember. But the fact is, now Lance Archer, everybody dies. He's basically killed most baby faces. And you can't go him against the title, I don't think. Because if he goes against Moxley... I would love Lance Archer, and I think many, many moons ago, I said to you, Gary, before this podcast existed, one of the first videos we need to speak about is why Lance Archer needs to take the title off Moxley. But time has passed. It's slowly developed in its own self, and he shouldn't go against Moxley now. I really don't think that should happen because Lance Archer technically has to lose because there's somebody else that needs to go Moxley first. Um, so Lance Archer now needs to make a baby face run and go through all the heels and make sure everybody dies in the heels. Uh, I think it's genius because if a heel wins a title, i.e. Brody Lee, imagine Lance Archer versus Brody Lee. I'm sorry, if you don't like big people matches and even a title match involved, that's just silly. That is mental. That is just too... Grey, is it redwood? Redwood trees slapping against each other. Branches, leaves, absolutely everything. And then both of them getting timed out for 10 and no one wins the title. Except for uh, Marcus Stun, but you never know. Oh, we can have a Marcus Stun, Lance Archer, and the Brody Lee cage match. What does that remind you of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that I'm crazy for like David versus Goliath stories, but I think that's taking it a bit far. <laughs> Just put Brian Cage in there as well. Have it as a fatal four. But oh, no. Back, no. Back, back, Just... back to my point. <laughs> um, I do think his baby face turn is developing in the background. And this is where we're going to see in the Casino Royale because I think him and Darby are going to team up in some ways. Yeah, can, because... you, can you imagine as well, right? That leads to Darby Allen and Jake Roberts being a partnership. Oh, that's, that's unusual. That is giving someone who needs psychiatric help the most psychotic manager ever to be known in wrestling. And I didn't even men- I didn't even mention Darby jumping off that suspension off the bridge. bridge. Yeah, yeah. That 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 to me, right? I have this thing about falling and heights. I don't like either of them. Like, even stepping on a stepladder, I'm like, I don't like it. <laughs> right? So, for me, watching this guy climb up this suspension bridge, knowing exactly what he's about to do, right? As he gets to the top and then jumps off, right? I was cringing the entire time. <laughs> that has put Darby Allen over more than anything he's done in a wrestling ring so far for me. Because to me, it's just so outside the box of my thinking, right, that it's unreal. So for me, Darby Allen now is in a very special place in my mind when it comes to pro wrestlers and the future. Definitely. He's definitely the future. But what boggled me, there's no one mentioned it at all. It was really random. Like The commentators just didn't say it later on in the night. It just happened, and then that was it. It was gone. So him falling off the suspension bridge, there's a little vignette later with MGF and a Corolla, so that was appropriate. 
Um, he was making his way to the ring, and whilst he was making his way to the ring, we had a very, very, probably the best promotional video this week, and actually in the last couple of weeks, Thunder Rose uh, and Sheeda's promotional video with the NWA uh, partnership as well, uh, with the backstory of the owner for the NWA. Um, I really appreciate that, Gary, and I don't think they need to build with it anymore. The story is very cut and dry. Champion versus champion, do two different companies, who's going to come out on top? Yeah. Thunder Rosa is amazing. <laughs> she's She's everything this women's division needs in terms of the skill of her wrestling, the character, the promos, the background, the technique. I, I, am I putting her over enough? I don't think I am. <laughs> um, again, Sheeda to me is AEW's current best female wrestler from a wrestling standpoint. And I'm never going to change my mind on that. Hmm. but I can see a scenario where, and this is going to be a weird one, they actually put the belt on Thunder Rosa. Okay, I'll be honest, I want that to happen because it's weird with the women's division. It's like the every time they come to a title match, they reset it again, and then it goes downhill again, and then they reset it again because it's got good again because of just this segment. It's weird. It's like it's shot in my eyes, but... Um, I'll be honest, Sheeda's has not been on TV as much as the like, and she hasn't had really many feuds. Um, they've just all been very light-hearted. She hasn't had many promos. This is where you basically give it thunder, uh, and she has two titles, and you can just work around that. And just, They need someone to do exactly what... We mentioned this in the... Uh, how AEW can fix the women's division. Um, they just need to get one woman to power through the whole women's division and have one person come back that's not been there in a while, i.e. like, not like Rio, but you get what I mean, someone like that that's not been there for a yeah. while and then just dominate. But no, no, much appreciated. Um, next was the MGF and Mox contract signing. So Jericho was really putting Moxley over and was actually quite surprised and saying he's absolute badass. Um, he ran the title. He's even better with fans in attendance. And then it was just a really, really Wasn't good... the actual phrase, now look at him, that's a champion? I think so, yeah. It, was re- it wasn't... Yeah. Like, it really put him over. Like, I haven't heard anyone put Moxley over like that, ever. I know. Not yeah. even in WWE. Like, I have never heard anyone put him over as well as Chris Jericho did whilst Moxley was walking through the crowd there. He and for a heel a... commentator, yes, that is quite spectacular, actually. It was I don't a... like this man, but... <laughs> it's exa- exactly that, because I was thinking that to myself, and Jericho's slightly going from that colour commentator to a bit of both now. He's picking his points, but he's definitely learning. I think somebody is coaching him with commentating. So I really appreciate it. If he comes to commentary once every month or once every six weeks, I'm fine with that because I, I like different voices. And if they're really good at speaking, just like Jericho is, much appreciated. But um, two box standard, fiery promos speaking from MGF and Box. Uh, MGF basically said in his um, contract signings 10 out of 10 times, then with physicality at the end, 
Um, we should practice social distancing like your hairline mocks. And then Moxley laughs and says, uh, you'll get there one day. You just need to get puberty first. And then MGF like, replies back saying he's sharp as a marble, which I find hilarious. And MGF puts Moxley over by saying, he heard in the back, I and Mike Tyson said he wouldn't like to be in a dark alley with Moxley, which is, again, you've got Jericho and MGF putting him over. So it, it's quite powerful what they've done here with this segment yeah, it's parallel uh, as well yes oh that's the word we're going to get into that in the future because that match is going to happen it will happen and then uh mgf basically calls moxley glorified goon he lists off a few of the best wrestlers that he studied uh and one name came to light tully blanchard he mentioned actually in his promo hence four horsemen tees hashtag 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 and he's and then boxes turn around saying he's man enough to be mgf and he wants to be mgf and he wants to do damage to mgf um he doesn't need the program shift uh but he does want to give him permanent neck damage he's forcing moxley to be creative all his limbs he could snap he's forcing all the ways he can think to hurt him um and it's good business that we don't break the table. And he's added something to page 17. And then obviously, it's, w- it's not WWE, it's wrestling. So the lawyers are always dreadful. Um, the MGF has already signed page, uh, everything, including page 17. And that stipulation of Moxley not using the paradigm shift is he's going to go against the lawyer next week. And the paradigm shift is completely legal in that match. What did I say last week, Gary? What have we said every other week? We love smart baby faces. Yeah, this is just another case of like history repeating itself, though. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you knew right the way through this. But after, as soon as MJF just went, "All right, fine, I'm signing this." Blah 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 blah. Right, and handed over the contract again. You knew something was up, and waiting for the reveal was just like torture because <laughs> I was thinking what million different things has been written into that contract that MJF doesn't know about because it was faxed to Moxley earlier in the afternoon so it may not be the same document that MJF and his lawyer thinks it is <laughs> faxed as Even well just, not like <laughs> sent yeah, <in> faxed. <laughs> it was faxed to him from Tony Khan so there is that little bit where you're like maybe that's not the same contract they think it is and then just Moxley just drawing it out saying he's thinking of all the different ways he can snap him in half and torture him and yeah so MJF basically says that his job is to stay in the ring which means within three seconds he'll roll out of the ring because you know that's what heels do <laughs> and Moxley's job is to get him out of the ring and take him around where there are what I would call legal weapons yes this entire feud has been based on smart baby face and cocky heel and that to me is the best story in wrestling. <laughs> Don't make your baby faces t- seem like, and I'm going to quote CM Punk, a doofus. And I'm going to quote a earlier segment in this year, 
Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre basically just signed it and Dolph Ziggler could have picked any stipulation he wanted. He could have picked, I win the title without you going in the ring. But no, he didn't. And still, it's Drew McIntyre being stupid because he just signed it. And again, Braun Strowman with um, Sami Zayn. He just signed it, and then it was basically a three versus one. It's just stupid. But and then on here, you've got an extremely smart one. As you said, cocky, heel. It's just good chemistry for wrestling. It's much better, and you don't feel stupid watching it, um, questioning everything. It's just what you need. And I'm glad he's against a lawyer, because we did mention in the uh, review last week, uh, he was basically going to go against a jobber. So he's a jobber, and uh, that legal guy definitely needs a good slapping. And Moxie says he needs to be a lawyer in the future, but I'm actually quite buzzed for this match now. Much, much appreciated. There's been a bit of wobbles yeah. throughout the few segments. I think um, if you look at it overall, they wanted MGF to blow it out of the water, but there was just a few, a few blips here and there, which he didn't. But overall, extremely good. I just hope the uh, wrestling match now lives up to it. Yeah, it seems to be that every week since that first promo, it's lost a little bit from MJF's side each week. Because it seems to be that he's repeating himself. Yes. It doesn't seem to be adding anything new. (laughs) And I know that there's this MJF is scared of the paradigm shift, but he was scared of pretty much everything that Cody did as well. He was, and that's why he had the belt ward low cage thing, really. Yeah, so it's not, it's not like it's new for MJF to be like this. This is just his character. If he can take something away from the baby face beforehand, he feels like he's had this mini victory. Like the psychological victory is in his camp. and Without this, he can't do anything. But remind me again, how did Moxley beat Brian Cage? Um, tap out, wasn't it? So does he need the paradigm shift? No, and that is a big, beefy bloke. Yeah, it's not half the size. Okay. Like MJF is. You mentioned mirrored before. The last thing I'm going to mention in this segment now, Gary, for you, is Wardlow replacing Taz, and they've got that weird scarf thing that can act like a towel. Tap out MGF. That's a bit of a story going back with MJF back to Cordy days as well, isn't it? Exactly. And then if he throws a towel, this is where you can get the Wardlow versus MGF stuff that's been simmering in the background. But we'll see. I don't want that to happen because they've used that now, if you think about it, three times, if they do. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think that'll happen. But I I think it it has a lot more with the intrigue of who he announced were his idols, really. Yeah, uh, that's that's the bit I've looked at. Um, so I, seeing as you brought it up earlier, and I just jumped in, go for it, Jed. <laughs> what, Tully Blanchard? Yeah. Okay, so with the Four Horsemen, I've, always, I've been a big, uh, I would say, a celebrator for MGF to join it. There always is that Ric Flair scenario. We, we, we still 100% confirm that FDR are in it. If they're not in it, it's just stupid. But FDR are in this four horsemen group, and they need this Ric Flair character. You've got the Red Herring, which is Cody, but he's nowhere to be seen at the moment, so he's got his own thing. You've also got Sean Spears that's around lingering against Tully Blanchard that's nowhere, near, nowhere to be seen at the moment. But for some reason, 
I genuinely feel like it's going to be MGF and he keeps teasing, teasing, teasing Tully for all this time to come that he is going to be the Ric Flair of the Four Horsemen. And everyone keeps thinking of this fourth character, like Hangman Page or something, but no, it's going to be Wardlow. But I don't want to speak any more about it because it's on a different video, much in detail, but I'm still convinced it's MGF, Gary. I'm still convinced it's him as the Ric Flair character. Yeah, he is as pompous as Ric Flair was, so I can see it from a character perspective. Um, as I've said before, I wouldn't be too disappointed with it. I just really want it to be Kenny. And he, he, the thing is, he clearly can. I can't wait for it. So going for one thing that we need to be fed, four people got fed to Lucha Bros, Butcher and Blade, who were Sonny Kiss, Joey Janella, Griff Grayson, much appreciate seeing him, and Brian Pilgrim Jr., which looked a lot like his dad in this match. But um, He did, didn't he? And I think yeah. the commentators mentioned it like 10 times during the match. Yeah, I think... I now, think... Can I just also call out another thing about Chris Jericho's announcing, right? Where, when he was commentating, every time someone got hit on, on the outside of the ring, on the, <laughs> the outskirts of the ring, it was always, that's the hardest part of the ring. And to me, every time he said it, it just made me laugh. Because yeah. it, it was said with such, oh, no, sort of sarcasm and, like, dreariness, but also excitement. And I don't know how you get that both conveyed into the statement, but... This is a fact, but it's way too over said. But because it's over said, I'm going to say it 400 times ironically. <laughs> it won that as well. Yeah, I did appreciate that. I saw that. Um, basically, there's a little vignette beforehand with Eddie Kingston because he came out with the four people he was with saying it's all about championships. These are my people. This is not a. Why is the word lost in my head? faction it's not a group of people it's his own people he's looking out for him don't know why i had a blank moment then i was looking out in the sky and just clouds were there and just blew my mind but um it was blade versus griff at the very beginning the whistle blew very early in this match it was like two seconds and everybody started beating up each other obviously you had the lucha bros going the double dive over the top rope um and then pillman gets a really vicious big lariat to his head that looked quite quite hurting and then he gets two finishes near the end a very quick match um but i think the star of the match was actually sunny kiss because he did a lot more um he was able to do a lot more athletic stuff than most people i know the lucha bros do it constantly but he looked like the star of all eight which i don't know if that was how it was going to go oh well uh and then pillman gets pinned one two three after both finishes off butcher and blade and lucha bros and any kingston comes into the middle of the ring and um, appreciate this because he's the first one to speak to the fans. Because the old chant, Eddie Kingston, or Kingston, and he turns, he looks up to him, <laughs> points at him, and goes, I know my name, so shut up. Just typical heel. I love it. I love stuff. Shut up, I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he basically says, All five of these men are going to be in the casino battle royale, and one of us is coming out and winning it. So back to the casino royale, Gary. Do you see any of these five winning it? No. Do you see, back to my Reddit conversation, this is the second bit I put on that comment to the guy as I was arguing with him. Um, someone is going to win, like Pentagon Jr. or even the return of Pac, if it's possible. I know I keep mentioning Pac, but having Pac versus Eddie Kingston... See, I could see a, a Pac return yes. and a Pac win, right? 
Like, if it was possible for him to turn up for that show, and this is, like, massive if. It's not, like, well, this is obviously possible because he's clearly in the United States because he's not in the United States as we know, right? Yes. We know he's in Newcastle. It's not, it's not a surprise that he's still in Newcastle as far as we're aware. <laughs> and the borders currently... I think are very restricted to getting into the United States from the UK. Yes. So it would take a lot for Tony Khan to manipulate that situation to happen. But if he has successfully manipulated that situation to happen and Pike is able to make it to America, I'd be all on board for a Pike victory. <laughs> And it'll be perfect as well. The return of Death Triangle versus uh, Butcher and Blade with Eddie Kingston. It'll be spot on that heel versus heel stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. But, um, appreciate it. You know, this... fine well, though, that the fans are just going to cheer for Pac. Yes, they will. You, but... you know they are, because we've been desperate for his return for months. He can stay heel. His character can stay heel, right? But the fans are, have just been screaming out for it for ages. So... Pack's return is going to be the big return for AEW from this global crisis. It is. It is. It's, it's good. He's going to get the biggest pop ever. And hopefully he has more fans back to do so as well. Because if he comes in America, you think more fans will be back. So going from a celebration pack win to the Dark Order celebration. And I really appreciated that Evil Uno was the first person to be out. And he's actually speaking instead of Brody Lee being out right at the very beginning. Because I do miss Evil Uno having like his segment times, his promo times. Because he is a good talker. Um, and I prefer his new mask. I was watching uh, All Out 2019 on YouTube and comparing his gear then to now, oh, it's much improved, just like the Dark Order has. But he said they've been on cloud nine since last Saturday. They've never been happier. They were showing off the list of things that they've won since the, not bought, since the um, title win. And basically, there's a lot of lawnmowers everywhere. Um, I think JR said if they started a business, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> it, it was a farewell to Cody. They were doing the coffin meme with the coffin as they came in, if anyone's not seen that. And then number 10 was in the coffin with a fake tattoo of the um, Nightmare Family logo on his uh, neck, which was hilarious. And he threw the ugly jacket away of Cody's into the coffin and then entered the new king, which is Mr. Brody Lee with Anna Jay in the background. And um, this was all basically BTE humour on Dynamite. So they've finally done it, Gary. They've done exactly what you wanted. They wanted to get the YouTube channel on to Dynamite. And this segment was exactly that, don't you think? Because there was one person that we both messaged each other with that, one, he went up to Brody Lee and tried to high-five him. Good old silver boy, or a little silver um, and Brody Lee just shunned his high five and high five everyone else. And then he grabbed the mic when Brody Lee came out saying, You're the man, you're the man, Brody, you're the man. And then gets shut down instantly. And um, Brody just does his usual dominating head of a cult, I would should say, promos. Um, he was basically saying he got laughed at December last year because he was at home in prison. The open challenge is now over. There goes my prediction. Not necessarily. Uh, there's no time on TV uh, for independence anymore. Cody will never get this back. 
and I'm entering a new person into the Dark Order, the Queen Slayer, Anna J. I don't know if I got this right, but I swear he called it 99. Unsure. Um, and then yeah, he, whilst did. he did. He did. Brilliant. Yeah. So at least she's got given a number. Uh, and then Dustin rushes in uh, with obviously QT Marshall and Scorpio Sky. And they basically get beaten up by the Dark Order. Uh, there you go. And because Anna J distracts Sky and he gets absolutely lariated to the floor. And as Brody Lee and Anna J leave, Matt Condona rushes in and takes out the Dark Order. We've never seen him take out a group of people ever in WWE. So a nice change. But this segment, Gary, I know you love BTE and I, love you, I know you love the Dark Order because I do as well. Was this exactly what you needed? Uh, the, from the long mowers right the way to John Silver. I absolutely <laughs> ate it all up like it was ice cream. <laughs> um, yeah, it was so good. I understand there are people complaining because they had no clue what was going on, but everything right down to them interacting with Tony Schiavone, right? When Brody Lee walks over to the desk and divans that Tony walks down to the ring with him just so that he can shout at Tony Giovanni a little bit more. <laughs> just, yeah, give this man a medal. <laughs> and he has one. He has one in the form of the TNT Championship. It was, um, and I appreciate I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Jed, um, but okay. I, I look at this segment and I go, would I be one of the minions that's getting beat up? Yeah, probably. But do I love this entire segment? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate they've been awarded a group um, on the pay-per-view because you would really think, oh, probably he's got a title. It'll be like a singles match, wouldn't you? Um, but no, because of all the hard work they've done and reviving this Dark Order now, I like it how they've got a um, four-man tag team. I know that it's a bit weird for a pay-per-view that we're seeing like a bog-standard 4v4 TV style match. But the uh, Dark Order being on um, a pay-per-view as the Dark Order, I think it's just a reward for them to say, well done, here's the hard work. We'll give you all a bit of a boosted paycheck, even though I would like to see Silver and people are on that team, they might still be around ringside. We don't know yet. It's just going to be a big spectacle around the Dark Order. So it's, it's um, Colt Cabana, Brody Lee, um, Stu Grace and Evil Uno versus Dustin, QT Marshall, Scorpio Sky and Matt Amorai. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is going to be a fun match. That's all I can say. That is going to be a decent breakup in the pay-per-view. And this whole segment, spot on. Yeah, right down to Matt Cardona when he ran out. He looks fantastic, by the way. He does. I, really don't, does. I don't think I've ever seen him look that good. And I'm like, well, that's impressive. Leave WWE and end up even better like physically than any, ever. That's a bit of a strange story, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, but we'd love to see changes in characters. We'd love to see positive changes. Um, yeah. And then continuing to a negative change because this is now where everything seemed a bit chaotic. So, so from this point on to the end of the show, it seemed a bit rushed. So the first match we had... Yeah, I, I'd say that a couple of things might have overrun during the show. Yeah. 
I think that Mox and MJF segment probably went on about three or four minutes more than it should have done. Um, and possibly the tag gauntlet match went on maybe a minute or two more. And that yeah. we've seen the effects of that six minutes in the remainder of the show. It was because the first match I had, we had the handicap match with uh, Reba Rebel, Ford and Britt Baker versus um, Big Swall. You didn't even have Britt Baker having an entrance. Okay, so this is where you relegated again the women's division to a tighter time frame. And it just seemed in this match that they had a plan all along. And then Tony Khan or somebody has gone, well, sorry, you have to shave five minutes off your match. Make do. Because it just seems so sloppy. I don't even want to go into the nitty gritty. Basically, at the very end, I was just—it was awful. Yeah, Reba just got a crutch off uh, Britt Baker and hit Swallow over the head. No, tried to hit Swallow over the head, but hit Fenelope forward, and then Swallow got the one, two, three on Ford. Ford accidentally dropped um, Big Swallow on her head. Reba looks dreadful in the ring. I know that's probably purposeful because she's supposed to be a hairdresser. But it just didn't look neat, like not a neat poor, if you know what I mean. It just looks like very extremely amateurish. Um, she got new gear, which is uh, good. But it was all about Brit, and she didn't even get the time to say the stipulations of the match. Like, if you beat all three of us, you can get whatever match you want at the pay-per-view. It just seemed relegated again for the women's division. But... Yeah. The segment earlier in the night saved it for me, so I'm not that bothered. It was just both this match and the Matt Hardy-Sammy match, extremely tight, tight schedule. And this match was the worst one of the night and probably one of the worst moments in AEW history, that match itself, that handicap match. I would probably have preferred it if they would have done something like backstage and Big Swall was like laid out or something. And then they said, no, we're going to leave this match until next week. They could have done that. If you thought, in hindsight, again, it's hindsight stuff. If you think, oh, we're running out of time, we can give Matt and Sammy a bit more time. Because when I was watching... Matt and Sammy were clearly meant to have more time than what they got. Yeah. I don't think I'm going out of my way to say something like that, am I? No. Like, clearly that was meant to go longer than it did. And... Yeah, because of the shortness of it, it's took away from it. So, basically, which of the two segments can you sacrifice to next week, making it an even bigger deal next week? Well, the Big Swall match. See, now, I, I, I've given my opinion on Big Swall several times, yeah. right? But it doesn't mean that I don't want to see her get over, right? She's not my favourite character, but and probably never will be, but it's not saying that she doesn't deserve to get over or she's not talented enough to get over. It's just things like this hold her back. So you need to give her the time to get out there and do what she can do and make people think, well, that's a surprise and that's what I'm looking for from her. And that fits her character this way so I could connect to that, right? Because all you need is one little spark in a character and immediately, because you're a wrestling fan, you identify with that, and then you work from there. That's all that's ever needed. And when you're given 60, 120, 180 seconds to do something, 
it's not going to happen. Like you didn't even get the sympathy part of it that you should have got from second one. Yeah. Because immediately it was like, here's this three on one challenge. We know that Britt Baker is not going to get out that wheelchair until the pay-per-view. So that's not happening. Right. And that's at the absolute earliest. And then you've got Penelope Ford, who a month ago was fighting for the women's title. And you've got Reba slash Rebel or whatever she wants to be known as this week. (laughs) Right. Who is a hairdresser. Right. Yet the hairdresser came out of that looking like the best character out of the entire bunch. She didn't even get pinned. She didn't get pinned. She made the final mistake in the match. If you can call it a mistake, maybe it was on purpose. You don't know. <laughs> right? Swall didn't look strong enough at all. Didn't look like she deserved the victory. It looked like a complete fluke. It didn't put her over at all. And to me, it was just sad. Hmm. And I don't like when I'm sad when I'm watching wrestling. I watch it to escape and not be sad. (laughs) There's enough sad stuff going on outside of wrestling, as we all know. (laughs) I don't want to be sad watching these characters on wrestling that clearly deserve more time, not getting the time. But we have an entire video about that, right? So anyway, my rant is over. (laughs) We'll move on to the next point. But I I, I do think that it could have been moved to next week. And I agree with you, Gary, but I'm going to, only because of the way I am, my thoughts. Um, when I was watching my stream, it came up with a bit of a, a glitch uh, throughout the night. There was one point where like Jericho and JR were speaking really, really quickly, which was hilarious because it sped up a bit. But, um, yeah, it, it did sh- the same with mine. Yeah, it showed I think me that like, was Fight Network's problems last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it came up with like only like 10 minutes left when this handicap match handicap match came up. So I was thinking, oh, that's good. They've actually got the winning as the uh, final match. And um, I just completely forgot about Matt Hardy and Sam. uh, Matt Hardy and Sam. That's like three people. Matt Hardy and uh, Sammy. Um, So that wasn't in my mind. So I was thinking, oh, that's really good. They've actually got the winnings to last. And they could have done it because they could have just substituted Matt Hardy and Sammy. I know that um, we're going to have a tables match. This is where you usually get viewers involved. Um, but you could just apologise, say we ran out of time, we're just going to put that next week. And if you had the handicap match as the last match, it's a statement of how big um, Brit has got over as well. So I would have liked to see Matt Hardy and Sammy be moved, but it would have been easier for the company to move the handicap match, even though it's a detriment for the women's division. So I can only echo Yeah, again, I wouldn't even thoughts. said it was a detriment. I just think if you take Big Swall yeah. out, like before the match, like halfway through the show, right? When you realize you're running long on some things, then that appetite for Big Swall to get a victory next week and get one over on them is right there. Yeah, feeds into But it. right now you've got that situation where Rebel is a sympathetic character and probably about a hundred times more sympathetic than what Big Swall is. And that's what's irked me, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that the people fighting for the heel should be sympathetic at all. <laughs> yeah. And then this went into uh, a little segment for the Dark Order. Basically, Anna Jay came out and gave Tay Conte a contract to join the Dark Order. And she started hugging it and then looked at it very um, 
just in a thoughtful manner. So she's probably going to join two women in the dark order. It's probably better than one. So it went into the yeah, Matt Hardy. Times. <laughs> went into the Matt Hardy versus Sammy segment, which it was a good match for what it was. But again, it was just extremely rushed. Um, there was just loads of table spots. One thing I loved about this match, though, Gary, is I'm just going to... It's probably Cody's nightmares. The Big Show and Cody's table match where Big Show put his foot through that table. Um, there was one point where Sammy was lying on a table outside the ring. Matt went for an elbow drop. Sammy rolled out of the way and went through the table. And then the commentators immediately jumped onto it saying, you need to put somebody through a table offensively to win the match. You can't just go through one and win. So I really liked that little side bit. Um, but throughout the match, it was just yeah, basically table spots and chair spots all the time. Uh, Sammy got busted open. Matt basically did that with a big chair during the break. So that's his receipt. Um, there was a twist of fate with Sammy's head in the middle of a chair. So his neck was like in the handles of it. Twist of fate that looked horrific. I did slow it down and it was actually very smart how he defended himself. Um, but the move itself was just, ooh, that, that was phenomenal. Yeah. And then uh, Matt gets a table out with deleted written onto it. He brings that into the middle of the ring. He puts a chair underneath that table, so just to add extra hurt. Um, he was about to put Sammy through it, but he's lost his equilibrium, and Sammy grabs Matt, suplex him into the table and chair. Deserved the win, but he really didn't really get to celebrate much, which I'll get my thoughts in a second. Uh, because you suddenly see Orange Cassidy in the background of Sammy's head running to Chris Jericho, dies over the commentary table and takes on Chris Jericho, leading on to their feud already for the pay-per-view as well. So this segment, Gary, I know we briefly touched upon it. Did you enjoy it for what it was, though? I felt like I was starting to enjoy it and then it was over. Yeah. <laughs> it develops and then... <laughs> like, I... Again, I do appreciate what you mentioned earlier where it has to be an offensive move to put you through a table. Yeah. It's not like WWE where you can win WWE Championship by rolling off of the table and having your opponent go through it. I'm looking at you, Seamus. Right? <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not a fan of them sort of finishes in the table match. So having an offensive move be the thing to end it that's so much more, like, in my wheelhouse as to what a tables match should should have. Yeah, I agree. It, it shouldn't come across as a fluke. And if it was two, fit, like, total fluke finishes in a row, I would have been upset. But this actually feeds into the character of Matt Hardy at the minute. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, I can only agree. I think... Because of how rushed this show was into the last segments, it was just it was a bit bittersweet. But for my thoughts, yeah. they didn't want Sammy to have the angle, the camera angle time, and because of the situation of why he was um, off Earth for that month, them twenty eight days. That's the reason why I believe they just quickly added the Orange Cassidy Jericho in to fuel the fire for the pay-per-view match and to keep Sammy away from the angle. So they finish off the mini feud that Sammy and Matt are having that may continue, may not continue. We don't know yet. It will continue. Yeah. And They're then... not going to finish at the end of that. That's no. That's not it. That's That would be disappointing like beyond 
disappointing because they just turned that feud around to a point where I'm interested and I'm invested. Yeah. So for it to end like that is a no. <laughs> and then just the orange and Jericho stuff, which is much appreciated, but it just looked all really awkward at the end because Sammy were like down because the referee hit him. But um, it was just weird end to the show, but I really thoroughly enjoyed most of the bits. So the good bits were absolutely outstanding and the poor bits were extremely poor. Overall, spot on. Viewership was 813 for a Thursday. So anything more than 700 um, on any other day than the Wednesday is positive, I always think, Gary. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. The fact that they keep maintaining this 800,000 plus is is really helpful. Um, like people will say, oh, it was terrible because there was no competition. But when the president's giving a, a speech against you, sure you're going to take a hit anyway so it, I think more than anything it shows that AEW fans will watch NXT um, whereas NXT fans won't watch AEW and I think that's a little bit more worrying but if you can keep your core audience no matter what day you're on then you've got a decent show to start with anyway and the numbers will come eventually no matter what just develop. That's all they need to do. So, uh, random wrestling question of the evening, Gary, before we finish this podcast up for you, is I just want your, I want a mini paragraph of your thoughts on Roman Reigns being a Paul Heyman guy in last night's SmackDown. Roman Reigns being a Paul Heyman guy. Well, you've sprung that one on me. Um, right, so... <laughs> Does this make him an effective heel? <laughs> I love how you answered that question with another question. Uh, well, the only way I can do this is work through several questions that go through my mind at this point. Paul Heyman is the best heel advocate in the entire business. I think everyone can agree on that. That's how it works. Paul Heyman currently is the best. I'm not going to compare him to Brain Bobby the Brain Heenan because we all know He's the best, but he's gone now, unfortunately. Rest in peace, rest his soul. Um, all that good stuff. Anyway, Roman Reigns as a Paul Heyman guy. Makes it interesting when Brock comes back, doesn't it? And that that's all. That's all for me. I just want to, I don't care uh, because you've brought back a guy that has helped himself and his family by defending himself by the global stupidity. Yeah. And you've turned him heel. Like a really stupid thing to do. Uh, I know that you want to. It's such him. a Vince McMahon way of thinking, isn't it? The fans are going to boo him because he'd abandoned the fans in the show. But the fans are like, this is the first time in years I've wanted to cheer for Roman Reigns and you're making me boo him. Boo <laughs> you, WWE. Boo you. Right? Like, it's the the worst time to turn him heel because like at the pay-per-view on Sunday right I watched that when I woke up and I thought you know what I like this edgy version of Roman Reigns and it can be like this tweener that goes on destroys everyone a bit like Moxley can do in AEW and a bit like Stone Cold used to do and like He'll have his fans, he'll have people that dislike him because he'll always have people that dislike him no matter what. And to be honest with you, then people are just 
annoying, but they'll they'll boo him no matter what. He could come out, right? He'd have saved three puppies from a fire, right? And you'd still blame him for, like, promos that he caught, about, like he was Scooby-Doo five years ago. But that's the end of that rant. <laughs> um, <laughs> Roman Reigns, to me, is the one star in that company that they're allowing to be a star. And he's being booked like a star but now, right, instead of having this edgy tweener sort of character, because he's twinned with Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman's not a face guy. He, he doesn't do things that way. He is heel through and through. And I don't like it. Yes. I have to say, I don't like it. Um, I'm sorry. I know the internet right now is going insane for it. I'm thinking it's the greatest thing ever, but I'm on the other side of the fence with this. Like, I have wanted Roman Reigns to be a, like, tweener slash heel for the longest time, but the way they've gone about it, it's just, you've presented me with the most interesting character from Sunday, and by Friday, he's just another Paul Heyman guy. Cesaro, McGillicuddy, Lesnar, Big Shaw, CM Punk. There's five men there, right? And only two of them have been a real success. And you can argue that both of them have been successes without Paul Heyman anyway. Yep. Right? There is an argument there that Paul Heyman actually made no difference to at least one of them two. I'll give you Lesnar. Right, I will give you Lesnar because when he came, first came in, Lesnar was the Paul Heyman guy. That that was how he was, and Punk backstage might have been a, a, a Paul Heyman guy, but in front of the camera, we didn't know anything about that. We didn't know anything at all about that until he actually became an on-screen Paul Heyman guy after he'd won the title. It's it's a bit iffy for me. I'm I'm willing to see where it goes, um, but I'm more intrigued by the dynamic at the payback pay per view than I am the character now, which is disappointing. Yes, and that's exactly where I want to leave it because I just didn't like it whatsoever. But we much appreciate everyone uh, for listening to another Chad and Gary wrestling podcast. Please. Please, 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 please follow us on both YouTube, which is under Jed and Gary Wrestling Podcasts. Again, won't be able to do any videos at the moment, but just follow us on there because we need as many subscribers as possible to make it easier to get content for you. But follow us on um, Twitter at Jed and Gary WP. Where can they follow you, Gary? At GForce for Life with a number four and a Y instead of an I because night is good. <laughs> and don't follow me on Twitter because I only use the Jed and Wrestling Podcast one anyway. But much appreciated. We'll be here again. Well, I'll definitely be here again. Um, if Gary can make to one, that's much appreciated. But you might just be hearing from me for the next week or so until the review of the pay-per-view. But we'll see you very soon. Anything you want to add, Gary? Uh, thank you all for listening and 
have a pleasant week.